0: Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. This is Anthony Malakian. I'm the U.S. editor of Waters, and I'm joined by James Rundle, the news editor and uh, deputy editor of BuySide Technology. I should probably know what your job is, shouldn't I, by this point? I mean, granted, you're, you're, you're new back to the team, but um, we've got a couple topics to talk about. We're going to talk um, about reg tech and uh there was an event here with uh, that we hosted with ibm regtech americas uh we're gonna get into some of the interesting discussions that came up at that event um and then we're gonna look a little bit at some clearing concerns um right now uh that i don't fully understand but i'll leave uh jim to be able to answer those questions because i i really don't follow the europe <laughs> that much but that's why we have uh james here with us um so we'll get to that in just a second um before we get into that, just so you guys know, next week is OpRisk USA and cyber Risk USA. Um, they'll be on the 20th and 21st, I believe. Um, it's a risk event, so, our sibling publication, risk.net, uh, will be hosting it. Um, so, you'd have to go to their website to get specifics on it. But if you're interested, they usually have some really good speakers. There's not a ton of technology there, the cyber will definitely be a technology uh, portion of it. But, you know, there is some interesting stuff there that you might find. uh, If you're an end user, it's free to attend. Uh, Oh, no, it's not, actually, I don't think. I think for risk events for the end users. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Go check out the website. We'll also (laughs) link to it later on. Um, This is what happens. You know, when you try and publicize the companies, you know, you do good deeds, you know, and whatever. All right, let's get to our event, the Waters event uh, that we did with uh, IBM, uh, RegTech America's Um, it it was a good discussion. Um, IBM, uh, this week put out three new products geared toward, uh, the financial services space, um, specifically around, um, uh, the regulatory compliance. And this is all based off of the, so it was announced in September that they were acquiring Promontory and then that deal closed in, I want to say November. So... This whole thing, they've spent these last couple months of figuring out, all right, how are we going to take you know, Watson and the cognitive technology that's there and gear it toward the financial services sector? The same way that they had gone about uh, making acquisitions and hiring on people to help them deliver cognitive services to the healthcare industry previously or the cybersecurity industry. Um, so now their focus is on uh, fintech or uh, the financial services space. So, we had an event there. Um, there were a couple interesting things that kind of came up. But James, what do you think is what? What should we hit on first? You think to start off with?
1: Um, well, I think first of all, we should, do we need to outline what cognitive is? Maybe listeners won't even know. So yeah, actually. I guess that, that's yeah. So well, it's what's AI? It's uh, pattern analysis. What's your?
0: Yeah, I would say it's uh, machine learning. Um, Basically, it takes it combines cognitive computing, which is uh, intelligent robotic process automation, identity resolution, network analysis, machine learning, um, to help compliance be more efficient in you know things like uh, know your customer and anti-money laundering alerts, uh, thing along things along that space. So that's kind of they don't view it as artificial intelligence. IBM doesn't like to really use that term. They like mm-hmm. to use um, augmented intelligence. Um, yeah, it's the same thing in many, many many ways, you yeah. know, but um it's the the whole point is just helping humans in the compliance space through the use of more intelligent technology,
1: right? And I guess the natural application of this is probably in surveillance, right? sure. which came up on the panel. Yes, um,
0: which was moderated by yourself, of course. It was expertly moderated, expertly moderated by myself. By thank you very much. One of the most
1: influential editors, uh, some guy on Twitter said, yeah, hey, listen, <laughs> uh, if, it,
0: if some guy on Twitter said it, it has to be true." Is on course. Yeah,
1: it's going to get your next performance evaluation, right? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, surveillance is, uh, is obviously a big, um, a big area for this kind of technology. I mean. I remember covering this a few years ago when Nice, Actimize, and various other vendors started talking about proactive surveillance and compliance. So the idea being that you don't just look at trade reports, so you can take in all kinds of bits of unstructured information, things like hard swipes, things like uh, how much people are using their vacation time, and you can build a profile of your employees, essentially. And um, when we had all the scandal around things like Quaco Adeboli at UBS um, with the rogue trading that went on there, and with... um, various other people as well throughout the years, um, Jérôme Kerviel, um, Nick Leeson. The idea being that maybe you can use this information to front-run that to a certain extent and kind of maybe identify problems before they happen. If people are sort of, you know, not taking vacation time or they're coming into the office at weird hours, um, what are they up to? Um, yeah. You know, and you can take a closer look at them as a result. The interesting thing I thought out of the panel there was that this has now gone a step further. So you're not just using complex event processing machines or like things like a Palmer and stuff that they used in the past, you're now using this cognitive framework to analyze all of this information that's coming into the organization and the computer and the machine can look at it. And whereas a human might look at all this data and just see a complaint here or a something personal here or something else, and they wouldn't necessarily connect the dots. The machine can now look at this and say, well, actually, you know, what, if you look at this and you look at this and you look at this, they might be connected and maybe you should look at this employee a bit further. So it was really yeah. interesting. I thought just, you know, taking that information and building a profile.
0: Yeah. They were They gave a presentation and they showed one area of surveillance of an employee. And it looked at three separate things. Um, first of all, it was a uh, trade size was a little bit different than the normal trade size he would do. And the timing of the trade was a little, it happened right before a big event involving um, of of a security, so it took that information, which on itself, you know, maybe just did a good job of research or whatever. Maybe just did that. Um, then it did his communications and said he has emails, and it said it's a, another rainy day in Seattle, and the company was Seattle Pharmaceuticals, and somebody from Seattle Pharmaceuticals emailed him and said, "Hey, it looks like it's going to be a rainy day here in Seattle." You don't want to get drenched, so make sure you bring an umbrella or something like that.
1: Right, so get out the trade before the results come out. Correctly. Exactly. Right. So
0: if you a, a regular surveillance system wouldn't pick up any of that, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't wouldn't pick up that as it recognized that there was negative sentiment in that email coming from Seattle Pharmaceuticals, which it then tied to the trade. Then the third piece of that is the human resources end of it was the guy only got sixty five percent of his bonus, um, so it took the trade uh, activity um his email communications and his internal hr and made three distinct links and then provided evidence to the compliance official to show the surveillance that to show that this is sketchy yeah. so he's doing something that you might want to go and look at and we and it had like it says, like, Watson's, like, had 80%, you know, um, sure that you should, re- you know, check this out or something. I'm not mm-hmm. sure the exact terminology. So it's certainly interesting. It brings up the question then of how much should a firm be surveilling their employees? How much pri- are there privacy concerns that kind of come into this? How much does a bank want to know? You know, there's plenty that... We can sit here and we can talk, but if you talk in hushed tones at a bar, you know there's very much of I don't want to – I only know what I would really need to know uh, mentality that exists there. So I, I've always wondered about how much traction will this kind of service really get because how much monitoring do you really want to do with your employees? Is it worth it or do you kind of want to make any trade? Did he just make a good trade mm-hmm. that made them a lot of money that would have been very hard to catch him on? Judging by the thing, but this this, you know, you're basically creating technology to create rats. So I'm part Sicilian, so you know it's uh you know we always talk about the rats. So <laughs> yeah, that's just my wife who is half Sicilian yeah. as well. Um, so I think that was an interesting thing. But uh, what was your kind of takeaway uh, from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think that's really interesting. Um, it's a really, I think, little discussed dimension to this. I mean, obviously from the surveillance perspective, your prime job is to protect the bank, but mm-hmm. that's your only concern really. Then today. Yeah. Um, so things like trade activity, things like communications within the firm, things like uh, you know HR files and everything else, I think they're all fair game. Because at the end of the day that's kind of what you give up in exchange for your employment and the other kind of benefits you have. Mm-hmm. What I found really interesting was on the panel, they weren't necessarily talking about that though. They were also talking about things like if their employee had, well or was approaching bankruptcy for instance, that should maybe feed into the surveillance system or uh, they also talked about social media monitoring as well. And you know, I think there is a question to be asked. I mean, their answer to this was there isn't no a privacy in a bank because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, anybody, I think one of the compliance officers said on a bad day, anybody can do something terrible to the bank. And, you know, it's all a behavioral kind of analysis as well. But I do think that, you know, if you are going to develop the system that takes in all this information, if you start looking at their trade, you start looking at their activity in the bank, fine. If you then start bringing things to their personal life, like... They're bankruptcy, okay, you can argue that. You know, you get credit checks when you join a bank. Um, yeah. You have to be within certain financial soundings to be able to work there for obvious corruption reasons. Damn, um, I'll never get to work at a bank. Well, that was my main... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping kind to of look at my credit file. Apparently it doesn't exist. Um, but uh, you start looking at social media, and okay, right, fine. If you see that... If you're investigating a suspicious trade and you see that they're friends with the CFO at Company X on Facebook and suddenly they're going to trade in options ahead of their results or whatever, Fine. But then you also might pick up things like their kids have unfollowed them on Twitter or something, or yeah. their relationship status yeah, has changed, yeah. uh, or you know the last post they made on, on Twitter or Facebook was automatically geotagged with the oncology ward at New York Presbyterian or something. Yeah, um, and you don't need to be a genius to kind of figure out from the metadata what's going on there. Now the question is, is that necessarily salient to their job? And yeah. should surveillance be incorporated in this? You can argue yes, because it maybe does affect their performance, their emotional standing, whether they're likely to engage in a fraudulent act but then also you have to wonder should there be levels of control about this shouldn't should a surveillance analyst in Topeka Kansas be looking at this from a banker in New York what is their business it's no yeah. business of the company and you start getting to a situation where if you start having this predictive surveillance over people where you start thinking okay can I look at this and can I think this person is likely to do something bad for the bank ahead of time that's kind of but there's an element of presumption of guilt without kind of, you know, actually doing anything. It. It's a bit minority report, right? Yeah, in exactly. Place. So my thinking about this is that, you know, the guys on the panel were very, very direct and said, you know, very, a slightly good response just saying there is no privacy or like these yeah. monitors are keystrokes and you can't believe what people put on company email. I know everything about them, that kind of thing, fine. But maybe there should also be some thought given to the controls around who accesses this data. Not least of all because as well, if you're building these intensely detailed profiles of your employees what happens if someone gets into your system and gets all that information? Yeah. Suddenly they have not just professional background, but a personal background for someone who raises all kinds of concerns about identity theft, about could you be making the problem of extortion or blackmail worse? It's, you know, I think it's something to be considered.
0: Yes. And also the fact that you can now start to drum up reasons. Obviously in the U.S. you're you're at will, so it's much easier to fire somebody here in the U.S. than it is in, say, the U.K. Right. I'm not sure about other jurisdictions, but I, I know just from being a U.K.-based company and uh, the the laws that they have there and the laws that we have here in the U.S. You can start, though, to drum up a case against somebody that's really not there in many ways, too. And I, 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 I hate the, the privacy angles of this, you know, mm. and, yes, you don't have privacy – in many or many ways, you sacrifice your privacy on social media and stuff like that. You are signing a contract, even if there isn't a contract, you know, there that says I am giving away a large piece of my privacy, even if I have all my privacy settings to a high level. Once you go into social media, you're kind of just saying, "Oh, I don't care as much about it." Mm. But um, as an employee, you know, you really start to kind of develop this feeling of, you know. To, to, we were drinking after the event, and you know I was just spouting on about you know Orwell's uh, 1984 right. thought, yeah, please, yeah. kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. What are we going to start red flagging to compliance departments? And where they're going to just – now the compliance department is going to know every last little thing about you when that used to be an HR kind of role oh, more or less. Exactly. Now all of a sudden we're now handing over this kind of information that –
1: well, and does that information then go to HR as well or does it stay in the compliance spot? because then you then wonder if someone is potentially dealing with a serious illness they haven't informed their bosses about or a divorce or something yep. and it comes around to you know the big banks um, time for giving them the nod for like promotion to MD or to partner or thing. does that information then go they think well you know this guy is going through a divorce maybe we shouldn't give him the promotion everything else he does is fine yeah. you have this information about this guy that is not necessarily related to the job, but then you think, or if someone maybe is pregnant, hasn't told work, or that kind of thing, you know, does that then affect their future prospects with the company? How does that information get sequestered and hidden from places that shouldn't necessarily have it? I think it's an interesting angle to explore.
0: And I also think that this is very cynical view of it, mm-hmm. but. There's very much a, a culture that, you know, you have to establish, yeah. and it's both as a company-wide, you know, because these kind of technologies will, at least in the beginning, be mainly for the biggest institutions, banks, and largest asset manager kind of things. But, um, so you develop a culture, but each individual office, sub-site office, kind of develop its own culture, even each individual desk, you know, your your fixed income traders are going to have a different culture in many ways than the equity traders, and the FX traders, stuff like that. Yeah. I almost wonder if these kind of technologies are a way to safeguard the the higher ups from the responsibility of should something go wrong be like oh you know now we're going to start to choose to these red flags that that were there we're going to really start to choose to listen to them now because mm. this can help us kind of scapegoat our way out
1: right it insulates the high brackets from, and that's also a really interesting point considering the focus has been so much on conduct over the last few years as well. Yeah. I mean particularly with the FX scandals and everything else where people are saying, you know, conduct is really driven from the top and there've been rules put in place about senior management, you know, responsibility and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah is this a way to then use technology to insulate senior brackets or circumvent it? You know? It's a serious question.
0: Looking at the events outside of the surveillance end of it, um, the the kind of the right tech space, the you know so we had our nice little conspiracy theories there, as you know. Me and you were both. We come on. We, me and me J- and James are very different ends of the political spectrum in many ways. Right. But in this, we kind of come on the circular kind of, end of it and yeah. be like, no, we just don't want people spying on us, man. It's I was like, middle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um. So I think that the other interesting thing then um that came out of it is just the AML KYC piece of this. Mm. This is gonna. This is an interesting battleground that you're starting to see. You know. IBM's now going to make a big push. In. I wonder what companies like Market with its uh, KY3P, something yeah, like that, yeah, KY3C I mean, or yeah, something yeah. like that uh, offering. Thomson okay. Reuters has a big offering out there, I know. Um, who else might be? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember so who else.
1: you you got Market. You've got uh, – does Axiom do it as well? Or is it,
0: or Axiom, I is think, Axiom might be in there yeah, too. Yeah. yeah.
1: There's quite a few players who do it. So.
0: it's in th- The sales pitch – that ibm is going to be able to make mm-hmm. watching the pitch that they because basically this was you know it, the first part of this uh conference was so our panel was just we had uh andrews and uh james wrote up a good uh, article on it uh com- it's uh, titled compliance chief turned to uh cognitive tech for surveillance and we'll link to that story and you can read that the beginning part of this um of this event though was kind of just a sales pitch as far as here's our offering Here's how we're working with Promontory. Here's how Promontory's is helping us to uh, improve Watson. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this space plays out because, from a K- an AML KYC, if they can deliver on cutting down the false positives, the mm-hmm. way that they you know showed that they uh, have the ability to do it, if they can really make that whole process more streamlined and effective. You know when we had mark andrews on the podcast with uh, dan and i he's from ibm mark andrews um you know we kind of i brought up the question to him of you know the industry kind of wants a utility around this they want somebody to kind of really kind of offload this i can't help but wonder is there going to be kind of this battle now coming up between an ibm a thompson a market you know those kind of definitely those three yeah. big players of saying we want to be that utility Is there enough room for everybody to play in this swimming pool? I don't know. Do you have any kind of thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the the pool will definitely shrink. And I think, um, you know, if IBM can bring this, I mean, quite frankly, I don't think it's any hyperbole to say awesome power of Watson, right? You know, we can accept that it's a pretty powerful machine um, to bear on this and they're winners, right? You know, (laughs) the bank's going to look at it and go, right we need to do AML and KYC checks on our clients. We don't want anybody who's on a sanctions list, anybody even slightly involved with in terrorist financing. Because if we do, then we are royally screwed. Yeah. Not only just in America, but everywhere else in the world that's going to fine us. You're going to pick the guy who's going to give you the best result. At the, yeah. end of the day, And that's the way it works in the market. You know, If your OMS is better than the other competitors, they're going to pick you. So I think, yeah, IBM, curiously for an entrant that's not a financial services specialist, necessarily, as well. I mean, it has a financial division. It's promontory. But but yeah. Promontory, right. Yeah. But isn't like a market which grew up in the industry, or like a Thomson Reuters, which has done yeah. the same. So I think it's really interesting. I think they definitely have a really good chance to steal the both on a lot of these people.
0: I think it's also interesting, you know, I, I have no real insight in it, but to me looking at the big, you know, kind of the cloud players in this. So you have AWS, Google Cloud Platform, mm-hmm. IBM, market, uh, Microsoft Azure, I, I wonder if IBM kind of looked at the market and said, OK, AWS, especially on the public cloud has really jumped ahead as far as the storage end of it is. Google has had a lot of good effect, especially amongst, you know, the prop trading shops that for the front end high speed uh, analytics yeah. um, for trading decision making. Uh, Microsoft very much, you know, tied to the workflow processes. I wonder if, the, you know, IBM looked at this and said, all right. We got to get into the financial services sector. Where is our best opening here? Oh, regulatory compliance. No one else is. Fo- you know, th- those other guys I just mentioned haven't really focused as much, even though they do. They can help you with that, surely, from a cloud perspective yeah. and in the analytics. They haven't really addressed it full on, and so I wonder if IBM now has just said, "This is our opening right here." Um, if we want to get into the financial services yeah, space,
1: I mean I think they've been teasing around it for a few years, right I mean they bought uh, algorithmics a few years ago in mm-hmm. sort of the risk management space, and it sure. seems like they've been doing little things here and there and just trying to where can we get some market share, where can we add some value where can we sell our products in and then, yeah I mean regulatory compliance you know it looks like they've hit a bonnet yeah. So, yeah yeah
0: so we have a couple articles like I said, go check those out um. My article on uh, IBM, just specifically on what they're offering. Jim's article on what the uh, couple chief compliance officers from uh, and chief operating officers from Nomura, Bank of China and Guggenheim uh, Securities and and uh, Bank of Montreal, Montreal, yeah. Um, So good stuff there. Go check that out. We link to them. Um, The other interesting story, uh, as I mentioned before, um, looking James and – uh, our european reporter Agelos uh combined to write a very good deep dive into new eu rules that suggest london-based clearinghouses may be forced to relocate to the eurozone i didn't understand a lot of what i just said there so <laughs> let's just start off with questions yes i did have jim actually say jim write, write me some questions here so i can at least sound smart on uh, my question asking but let's let's <laughs> see it off here uh, what has the European Commission done that's caused such a fuss?
1: Right, so this is primarily related to Brexit. Um, this is kind of the first salvo, really, in the opening battle between them. What the European Commission released uh, was after a few consultations, after a lot of noise over the last few years, they released a document saying that um, they're going to split clearing houses into two brackets, essentially. So there are the the smaller clearinghouses um, who they're not really that fussed about and they can continue as they were largely through things like equivalence, where if the European Commission determines uh, a foreign country's rules are strong enough they can market services in the European Union for the systemically important CCP's though those that really handle the bulk of derivatives trading um, they're saying that they're not convinced their oversight um, from the EU into these third countries as they call them external countries is sufficient they're worried that there are financial stability concerns and they want a greater say and a greater view of what goes on, really. Now, at the extreme end of this, they said that for the really systemically important ones, there so really is a third tier here. They might be so lacking in confidence of their ability to properly oversee them that they're saying to them, well, if you want to continue services in the European Union, you have to relocate to the Eurozone. Okay. So there are institutions such as the European Securities and Markets Authority or ESMA or the European Central Bank can actually have you in their territory, in their jurisdiction and oversee you directly and go into your shop and see what you're doing and that kind of thing as well. Um, It's written somewhat facetiously in a way because it talks about third countries and it talks about foreign non-EU states, but really it's just directed at the UK. I mean, the US and the EU have a treaty that took about four years to hammer out over recognising each other's derivatives rules. So people at the CME and that kind of thing are fine. They're not going to be asked to relocate to Frankfurt anytime soon. But LCH in London handles the bulk of trading, uh, clearing and interest rate derivatives. Uh, and for Euro, well Euro-denominated derivatives, it handles about 75% of it. Okay. So really what they're saying is, for LCH and for people like ICE and stuff like that, ICE Futures Europe, we don't want you in the UK when something can go wrong, potentially disrupt the entire financial system, we might force you to move over to Europe, which has raised a few eyebrows, to say the least.
0: Why is this, I guess, looking at Europe as a whole, why is this a big deal? Why Why should, uh, What? what's the greatest concern, I guess?
1: I think to answer that, you've got to get back to the financial crisis um, in which derivatives played a large part now. For those who aren't Ofeo clearing houses, uh, during the crisis, there was, a, uh, there was a, I think it was a G20 meeting in Pittsburgh in around 2009 where they said that derivatives have to be centrally cleared, have to be reported, and have to be traded on electronic exchanges where appropriate. The central clearing aspect works where a clearinghouse puts itself between two sides of a trade. Um, So Morgan Stanley wants to trade with J.P. Morgan, they agree a swap or something. They can't just do that between each other anymore because the problem was they had no visibility into who was exposed to who and which banks could be taken down if other ones fall down. So the clearinghouse stands in the middle and acts as a buyer to every seller and a seller to every buyer and it guarantees the trade in the event that one party defaults. Now this is not chump change. These are billions, trillions, and hundreds of trillions of dollars that are at stake every day in the financial markets, uh, for derivatives particularly. The European Union is concerned because a lot of these euro-denominated instruments and the euro being obviously a European construct with London's last resort and what have you, they're worried that it's now being overseen outside of the European Union because the UK is now leaving and they're not willing to take it. Um, Whether that's a reasonable... um, approach is debatable i think um a lot of the european rules around clearing houses and how they're governed and how they operate like the european market infrastructure regulation was developed in concert with the uk Mm -hmm. the bank of england directly supervises ccps in the uk esma directly supervises ccps in the european union um a lot of it's fairly political i think to a certain extent but you know uh, they're, they're concerned for those reasons ostensibly whether that's actually the case is a different story
0: okay And what are the impacts it will have for first banks and those who use CCPs, and secondly for the CCP itself?
1: Right. Um, So, if, say, the European, or say, ESMA makes a recommendation to the European Commission that LCH should be located within Frankfurt, um, for the banks, it's going to require a lot of work around what legal jurisdiction does that fall under. So, you know, our contracts are with these people, do they fall under? German bankruptcy law, French bankruptcy law, there's going to be different connections that have to go into one a technology sense, uh, you know, a little bit of work that has to go on there. In a financial sense, if LCH for instance, I'm just saying LCH, I'm not saying they would do this, um, refuses to comply then the European Union can add capital charges to trades that go through them as well. It becomes punitive and becomes difficult to trade with that company. For the CCP side, uh, if they have to relocate to Europe, it's going to be a massive cost. They have to move all of their infrastructure over to the wherever they end up, whether it's Frankfurt, whether it's you know, somewhere else in Europe, uh, Paris or wherever. They have to move the staff. They can't interrupt trading for a day because mm-hmm. or a couple of days because that would just mess everything up. These guys do margin calls intraday. They do netting every day. Um, if that stops working, then things go really bad really quickly. So essentially, you have to duplicate your process and then switch over, like kind of an overnight thing. Some CCPs will find it easy and others, I think. I mean, LCH has a Paris-based CCP already, um, through which it does uh, its CDS trading, and so. it's listed aside, but, you know, others might find it difficult.
0: Okay. And so far, what's been the reaction from the market?
1: Yeah. Um, so people like LCH released an uncommonly long direct statement saying that... Uh, you know, our job is to manage risk and relocation policies. Don't make the market safer, they make uh they it more prone to risk because you're balkanizing the market, you're fragmenting it. Uh, LCH is normally a king of giving a non committal saying we've received the report and we'll consider it in, you know, due time. The fact that they released three or four paragraphs on this, um, and had such language shows that they are genuinely concerned, but I think. Um a few other people we spoke to as well, um people at six were also just like, well, things are working the way they are now with equivalence, why do you need to introduce this new bracket? Okay. And on the other side, you know, ESMA, um, which is now gonna be responsible for a lot of this, uh, was saying, you know, we support this. Um they were quite adamant that they need more money if they're gonna do it. Yeah. I think um ESMA being notoriously underfunded, especially in comparison to other regulators and then the people who are really going to benefit from this people who are already in the Eurozone people like Eurox clearing we're just like well, yeah we fully understand it no this is great yeah. <laughs> come on you know, come to Eurox <laughs> um, so yeah I mean it's definitely opinion is polarised depending on the winners and losers and who's already in either part of the establishment that made this choice uh, or in Europe already and then the other guys who are just going you know yeah. that's, uh, what can we do
0: well, the article is uh, – the title is uh, Tech Challenges Loom as Europe Eyes London's Clearing Houses. Again, we'll link to it in the, uh, in the post on waterstechnology.com. It's good stuff from uh, James and uh, shout-out to De Agalos who uh, did some good reporting as well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have been able to help in any way because, again, I didn't. Under- I fell asleep while James was uh, just describing everything that we were just talking about there. There's
1: <laughs> this, is, this is point where you're kind of <laughs> always like, Yeah, just oh, be like, oh, God, distance, are we boy. almost done? <laughs>
0: <does this> <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about one thing that I do love that I am an expert on, okay. and that's boxing. Great. Yeah. Um, I am an expert on, and I was horrifically wrong. Dan wishes he could be here right now to tell me about how wrong I was in my prediction that a May- Floyd Mayweather...
1: Well, I'm thinking we should go to Dan for a vox pop after this, just get him quite so Yeah, just be like, Dan, well what the hell are you he 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um I had said it will never happen. Floyd Mayweather will never fight Conor McGregor. Um, the fight has been signed. It's going to be in August. Which is
1: incredible, right? I mean, these are two very different sports. Yeah. Uh, like I'm, I mean, I don't know much about boxing or MMA. I'm more of a kind of ball and net fan, but... Um, yeah what is the significance of this? I mean, how difficult is it going to be? Are they going to have a boxing match? Are they going to have an MMA match? It's so a gonna... straight up boxing match.
0: Right. Um, in boxing, there's a ton more money to be made in boxing. Than there is in MMA, even though the UFC as a company, its valuation is over a billion dollars. You know, it, it's a, it's a hugely successful organization, but that's what hurts boxing also helps it in many ways in that it's, you know, it's Wild West. You know, you you're a promoter. You can start promoting fights, and if you can get good fighter to sign with you, you make whatever fights you want to make. Um, HBO, Showtime, the various other networks, they'll pick up your fights, and you don't you're not beholden to a CEO mm-hmm. the way that you are in the UFC. So May, Floyd Mayweather he makes literally uh, over a hundred million dollars for some fights. Um, hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, well, his, his last couple ones have been in the fifty millions, you know, stuff like that. And then when the pay per view buys come in, everything like that, he's making tons of money. He's obviously an anomaly. But even like your mid level guys, you know, um, Andre Ward is going to be fighting uh, Sergei Kovalev uh, this weekend. They're going to be each making about six point five million dollars, I think, for this right, fight. It's a little starving. Yes, yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. You know, you just don't make that kind of money for one, uh, you know, for one fight in the UFC unless you are truly the biggest names in the sport. Conor McGregor is going to get paid a ton of money for this. I'm not sure what the final breakdown I was of it say, is.
1: What's, what's his profile in the UFC? Is he one of their biggest fighters? He's uh, one of the be- He's he is their biggest right, star or, right now. But yeah, even
0: though he it. lost, um, he he avenged uh, his loss. Um, so, but he hasn't been in the UFC. He's been trying to get this fight made for a long time. So it's going to happen. Um, I would be sh- Floyd Mayweather whatever you want to say about him a lot of people don't like him he's one of the great fighters that this sport has ever seen mm-hmm. Um, you know there will be some that will say he's top 10 there will be some that will say he's top 25 and then you'll have the old curmudgeons. he's no sugar ray eh, robin and he's at 100 <laughs> and it's like shut please shut up my god Um, but you know going all the way back from his lightweight days when he was destroying a prime Diego Corrales all the way through to destroying De La Hoya at welterweight to uh, going and beating up on Manny Pacquiao and all these different fights in between. He's fought a who's who of the sport. McGregor has outstanding boxing skills for MMA. But it's important to remember that in MMA, the best boxers don't go into MMA. They they make more money in um, boxing, so they stay as boxers. Mm-hmm. The best wrestlers go into MMA. The best uh, judoka go into MMA. The best uh, jiu-jitsu go into MMA. The best kickboxers go into MMA boxers stay in boxing um so connor who has outstanding boxing skills for mma has never fought boxing has never uh, fought as a boxer professionally and is now going to go in against one of the greatest fighters of all time older sure maybe he's lost a step hasn't shown it in the ring yet but he hasn't fought you know but you know he He's been beating everybody 49 times. Somebody was pulling from him, and 49 times he clearly walked away the winner. Diego Corral or um, Jose Luis Castillo. The first fight, you can make a case that maybe uh, Mayweather you know escaped by, even though I had Mayweather win in that fight. But yeah, sorry.
1: No, no, I was just gonna say. I mean, why does he want to do this? Do you think? I mean, I mean it, it, just the money, or is it is the? I
0: think experience? with McGregor, the thing I really respect about him is he has such a supreme confidence in himself. Yeah. He thinks he's gonna win. He has no. He has no doubt he's gonna win. I think. And he wants his fight to show that I'm such a bad SOB. You can put me in with the best boxer of all time. And he knows that You know Mayweather's a little bit old now, so he's not playing a prime Mayweather. Mm. I'm going to be the guy that beats him. I'm going to be the one that's going to put the one loss on his record there.
1: Okay. It's just weird for a different code. I mean, is MMA looked down on by boxing generally, or is it sort of...
0: So There's a you know sibling rivalry a lot right. you know MMA I, I love both sports you know I wrestled in high school and I wrestled from elementary school all the way through high school and you know I know a little bit of jujitsu and um, you know so I, I like I can appreciate MMA mm-hmm. and I, I I like watching it boxing is my favorite sport overall it's you know what you see there is just more entertaining but what makes it entertaining is also what makes it more dangerous. Boxing or uh, in MMA, you have like bad cuts, you have broken bones, stuff yeah. like that. No one died. It, extreme. It's never happened in the UFC. There have been some MMA events where you know people have died, but it's very very rare. Boxing, I've seen three fighters killed in the ring yeah. um, from the audience, you know, or or in a press row, um, and then on TV, you know, it's, it's ha- it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because you get knocked in MMA. You get knocked down. You can keep on punching. A guy while he's on down. Ref immediately stops in, stops the fight over it's gruesome to watch it's brutal but the guy lives right boxing you get knocked down get up before the count of 10 kind of shake it off bell rings, mm-hmm. save you again in the next round your brain's still taking a beating brain starts falling up so boxing is more there's more drama but it's more dangerous in this i just i don't see how somebody that's never fought professionally can possibly compete now does Mayweather go for the kill, or is Mayweather almost thinking, Am I, "You know, if I keep this close, you know, can I? You know, maybe." But it would hurt his legacy no, right. if if Connor even stayed close to him. I really think uh, Mayweather will just wipe him out and will knock him out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he's not he's not one punch guy, but when Mayweather wants to turn it on, there's a reason why no one ever attacks him in the ring because yeah. he everybody's like, "Oh, he runs and he holds." No, he shoulder rolls, and he stands right in front of you. And he lands about, he averages about 22 to 25 punches landed per round most fights. Right. He's laying a lot. It hurts. It yeah. stings. It's not, you know, it's not Mike Tyson devastating, but it hurts. Yeah, yeah it's a
1: cumulative effects. And McGregor, I guess, being a aggressive,
0: confident, yeah.
1: you know, confident to the point of extremity, um,
0: fighter who has something
1: to prove that this is yeah. going to go after him. And then and the tricks. other thing to remember
0: is, in MMA, they wear five-ounce gloves, you know, with the uh, you know, fingertips yeah. out, you know, you're hitting right with the knuckle, basically. So, McGregor has huge power. You know, you're going to be putting on I'm – not, I'm not sure if they signed – if it's going to be an 8-ounce glove, a 10-ounce glove. 12, I'm not sure. I, I didn't look into those details. But, yeah, I mean, it's – it's. you can hit somebody square clean. Bayweather has a great chin. He's been yeah. hit, you know, and he's not going to get knocked down. So, so
1: your prediction is a first, second, or third round knockout? You no, you I think it'll,
0: I think it will be around the eighth round he'll eighth stop round. him. Yeah. Um, but I think that he will slowly just – he'll toy with them a little bit then kind of humiliate him a little bit yeah. and then just start laying it on and there'll be a stoppage of some sort. So
1: I guess the, the problem with that is that if he leaves it too long, he's got a younger, fitter man going after him and it's sort of, you know. Could, could,
0: that's that thing though about Mayweather, man, he's always in great shape. He never yeah. like, many boxers, they, you know, Ricky Hatton was the pro. Fights, he get, comes in, makes way, is shredded. And he just goes on a drinking, eating, sometimes <laughs> cocaine binge, you know, and you know he just let he'll blow up to two hundred fifty pounds. He right. called himself Ricky Fat in plenty of times. Um, Mayweather's not like that; he's always in phenomenal shape. Right. So, uh, if if that's what McGregor's hoping for, I wouldn't count on it. Right. Interesting. But and this is just a warning to everybody: if you this fight's going to cost at least a hundred dollars pay per view, I wouldn't be surprised if they even jack up the price a little more. If you go and you pay that money. And then the next day you complain about the result because it wasn't a close, compelling fight. You're an idiot. You don't deserve to have that $100 in your pocket anymore. You deserve to lose it. You are paying for a spectacle, not for great boxing contests. Understand that. Walk into that with that. Get some friends together. Split up the price of the pay-per-view. You know, but don't don't be bitching the next day at the office. Oh my God, it was such a joke. He just he just danced around him. And, yeah, that's what's gonna happen. So don't be surprised yeah. when it happens.
1: How are you watching it? You're doing the splitting with the I, best of your I, friends. No,
0: or? I I buy every fight. Um, you know I just, Even when it's a terrible pay-per-view, I will buy. Yeah. If it's a boxing pay-per-view, I'll buy it. One time, you you're not gonna know who these people are, but this guy Butterbean. Uh, Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes is about 50 years old, former great heavyweight champion mm-hmm. back in the 70s and 80s from my hometown of Easton, Pennsylvania. Fought Butterbean on um, a pay per view. And, like, he's like 50 year old. Butterbean's like this 300 pound fat, it's tough guy. Butterbean. Butterbean. <laughs> <laughs> Look him up. He's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous looking. And Holmes actually beat him. And uh, it was just funny to watch. But, uh,. Yeah, I'll, I'll end buying it. So you, you're more than welcome to come over.
1: Yeah, well, I might have to now, I think, after that thrilling yeah. introduction. USC <laughs> <UFC laughs> and boxing, yeah.
0: All right. Um, well, so again, OpRisk and CyberRisk USA, go to risk.net to find out the details on that because I obviously did not give great details oh, to begin with. I used with. to work for Risk and I don't even know, so there, you yeah, there you go. Um, and, uh, but we'll, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys later. Thanks, guys.